Wawa, would you go ahead and come on up here? I, wa- I want to introduce uh, Wadestran Jean Baptiste. And John Watkins has been giving me a hard time all week because he doesn't technically have his doctorate yet. Uh, but he's going to get it. I'm not a prophet, but I, he's going to get it. And uh, John, is he's such a legalist about these things. Uh, He'll be a doctor, okay? He's the president of Step Seminary in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. So excited to have him this morning to share God's word uh, and what God is doing in Haiti. Um, he not only is the president of Step Seminary, but he also is a full-time professor. He's also uh, a husband and a father of two uh, uh, girls, a 12-year-old. <laughs> That's the scary part. <laughs> 12 and 14-year-old girls. Um, so uh, we are so blessed to have you and his assistant, Luke Perkins, with us also, um, thank you for being here, Luke, and uh, Wawa, so blessed to have you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Pastor Russ. Good morning. Um, I'm not going to preach this morning because the, that, that video said it all. Um, I think there is nothing more I can say to add to that to clarify what God is trying to communicate to us according to what he wants to do in the world today. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Ross and the the whole church for your faithful uh, blessing, faithful prayers, and faithful support that you have provided through the years to Step Seminary. I bring greetings from the seminary, from the students, professors, and want to let you know that we are very grateful. And thank you for sending people to Haiti to be with us, to spend time with us, and to come alongside us so that we can bless others. And as you were uh, watching it, being with the people, God uses that to soften hearts. We saw houses being built, changing the reality of a family for a long time because they are built strong. But in the process, people come to Christ also. And step students are involved in the process so that they can learn about how to take that same idea to the very places where the Lord has called them to serve when they graduate. And they are going to do just that, to transform lives and communities when they go. So thank you very much. And we encourage others to sign up with Pastor. And the Holy Spirit told me that he's given permission also. (laughs) I think I've got to preach anyway. I was not going to preach, but I have to. I don't know whether it had happened to you before, but it had happened to me. At the end of the day, I would be wondering whether or not I spent the day right. Whatever I did, sometimes I would have my agenda with a list of things to do, and I did all of them. But at the end of the day, I wonder, Is it exactly what God intended for me to do with that day? And sometimes you go to work, you spend the day working, you you filled your agenda and did everything right, and you may wonder in the evening, was it worth it to spend the day doing that? 
you probably had a day off and you took that day to go to the lake, you fish during the day. Probably you, you, you got some catfish big enough to bring home or small, you send back, throw back in the water, you enjoyed that. But at the end of the day, you'd wonder, did I spend the day right? Was it worth it? Or you went to a restaurant with your spouse or with the kids, you enjoyed time, or you went to the arboretum, something like that. And then at the end of the day, the same question arises. Did I spend the day right? You want to uh, probably find a better answer. You want to know that the way you spent the day is exactly what God intended for you to do with it and for the impact to go into eternity. That would be a good feeling, right? To know that what you did is going into eternity. It, it's valuable for, for, to God and also to you. That would be very encouraging. Uh, the passage Pastor Ross read for us has something in it that can help us understand clearly what is one of God's desires. And when we get that, we get involved in doing just that, we can have that feeling to know that it was a day well spent for the glory of God and the impact is going to go into eternity. There are a lot of uh, details in the passage that, are, that we can't look at this morning, but I will look at three of those details in the passage that stand out. Actually, Matthew uh, 28, 16 to 20, this is a small passage that, that is in the context of uh, a context where Jesus had already risen from the dead. It was soon after, a few days after Jesus rose from the dead. And things were happening with his disciples before they feared for their lives. And then he started showing up, encouraging them, and had an appointment with them to be where they are right now in this passage in verse 16. And when he showed up, they worshipped him. But still, some doubted in verse 17. It's like a lot of things were going on in their minds. Um, they were wondering, do we, do we continue to walk with this guy? Do we, can, can we trust him for what uh, he used to say and things that will happen later like that? They had a lot of things going on in their mind, but the passage say that some believed in him. However, in verse 18, Jesus uh, said something that stands out to me. And I, I would love to share that with you. And that would be the first uh, idea uh, for us to look at this morning. He says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before he goes on to give the command. The command is going to uh, come in verses 19 and 20. But before he gives it, he says, all authority has been given to me. And because he said that, he was setting the table for his disciples to find themselves in a situation where they had no choice. They had to do what he was going to say. Because Jesus said, 
uh, all authority has been given to me using a word that is tricky. Jesus has a lot of power because he is God. He is, a, he is almighty like the Father. He didn't use uh, the word that would have to do with that. He uses the word exousia. That's the word that is translated by power here, by authority here, I'm sorry, authority. This word means that Jesus has the right to rule, the right to tell people what to do. He was going to tell his disciples something to do that would not give them other options, but the only option was to do what he said. And this is exactly what Jesus is telling you and I this morning, what he is about to say. And you're going to find out uh, in a bit. Jesus said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that person standing in front of the disciples talking had the right to tell them what to do, and they had only one response that they could give it was to just go and do what he said and the same jesus is speaking to you and i this morning telling us the exact same thing that he told them which is to make disciples because jesus has the authority to ask us to tell us what to do when he says it we need to go ahead and do it, right? So the only option we have this morning is to make disciples of all nations. Now you wonder why I am saying make, make disciples of, of all nations and I don't talk about the go part. Well, it's because Jesus worded it in a way that puts the emphasis on the making disciple. Because he uses the present participle for the go part, the present participle for the baptizing part, and the present participle for the teaching part, but the command itself is used in, in a, a form that says make disciples. So the strength of the command is in the making disciples, and as you go, as you baptize, as you teach, you will be doing what the command is about. So if you see that in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So there is one thing that you and I have to do. It is to make disciples. Now, this leads us to a second idea. The second idea, if we are making disciples according to what Jesus is saying, we suddenly become teachers. Because the words Jesus used make disciples, the word is matetes in Greek. And the word matetes is translated by student, follower, learner. Whenever you have students, and you are the one working with the students, you are a teacher. Whenever you have follower, 
and you have the follower following you, you are the leader of the followers. You have learners under you, you are a teacher teaching them. So if you want to respond to what Jesus says to go and make disciples, and you're making disciples actually, you are a teacher. And now we need to say a little bit about being teachers, because you may be thinking, and that happens to me also. For a long time, it had happened at Step Seminary, which is an academic institution. It had happened to us. We thought, well, it's easy to be a teacher and to make disciples, because we thought that we had, it, was about, it was about transferring facts and knowledge to people. And as uh, many of us went to Dallas Seminary before or to other seminaries before we went back to Haiti, and teaching, we, we, we have a lot of here. And it's so easy to just transfer some of them to people. But making disciples is something different. The first thing is that you will definitely have to transfer knowledge. So it gets you to a place as a teacher to learn the word, uh, to spend time in the word, to read commentaries to understand it, to pray so that you can be developed in your knowledge of the word in order to have enough to share with people you will, you will be discipling. That part we had at Step Seminary as professors and, and leaders. It was, it was pretty much easy for us. And the same way you would never send your kids to a school where you know for sure that the teachers didn't go to school for what they are doing, you would never send your kids there. You would send your kids to, to schools where you know the teachers, they are experts in what they are doing. As teachers, discipling people for the glory of the Lord, this is something serious, right? So we need to be worthy of the task and to make disciples, to be this kind of teachers we need to know. Understood? I'm a teacher, right? Now, the hardest part in making disciple is the second idea in, in this, as a teacher. The person who is making disciples is not just transferring facts, is not just pointing things to people to learn and to know up here. The person who is making disciple is a role model. Turn uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, please. And you will see what the Lord says in that. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. In Luke 6, 40, here is what we read. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. There are some uh, Bible versions that say a disciple is not above his master, but a disciple who is fully trained will be like his master. You see the idea? The idea is that the disciple is not somebody who is just learning facts, but the disciple is somebody who is with his disciple maker, who is learning from the disciple maker, who is watching the life of the disciple maker, who is uh, imitating his disciple maker so that he can become like the disciple maker. You see it? 
So if you want to make disciples, you need to be picking somebody to work with, to share time with. So if you're making disciples, you see what you're going to do. Whenever you have a day off and you want to go to the lake, somebody is going to be with you going to the lake. And you share the fishing time. And as you're sharing the fishing time, you're talking about the Bible. You're talking about life. You, you, you're sharing your own testimony with the person to tell him here's why you are the way you are. Here is the road the Lord, the Lord took with you to get to this place. And here is how you take responsibility in this or that in life. And when it happens, at the end of the day, you will know that you are influencing somebody else's life. In this, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me, as I am also of Christ, offering himself as a role model for other people to follow. And uh, Jesus Christ, when he was discipling his, his own disciples, he took them with him everywhere he went. There is this model of school that is not like the schools we send our kids to. When we think about making disciples, it, it's called the peripatetic school. The peripatetic school is a school where the teacher goes everywhere with the student, with the learner. He or she is in your home. You are going somewhere. Uh, he or she is there to be able to learn and watch and imitate. Jesus did just that with his disciples. If he was going somewhere to heal somebody, his disciples were right there. If he was going to raise somebody from the dead, they were right there. If he was going to cast a demon somewhere, they were right there. If he was crossing the lake to go somewhere, they were right there, experiencing whatever they, he, had, he was experiencing as he traveled, they were right there. And they were able to ask questions. If he was invited to eat a meal somewhere, they were right there with them. It was a life lived together. And because it was like that, they grew in the process. And they, they grew in, in knowledge and also developed a conviction of who Jesus was and who God was and developed a relationship with God that was strong enough to the point where they were willing to die for it. It didn't happen just like that. Because you, if, if you remember, Peter did not want to go to the cross with Jesus even when he said it at some point. But when you go to the book of Acts, they grew more and they were willing to even die for that relationship they had. So Jesus met the exact same thing that he was doing with his disciples when he said, go therefore and make disciples. Making disciples involves learning, development in knowledge, but also according to what the Bible says, putting into practice the principles of God's word and be a role model for the followers, for the learners. So as teachers, we have a burden. It's the burden to put the word of God into practice and to present ourselves to 
for followers in such a way that when they become what they see in us, they are worth watching. They are worth following also by others. Not only is it only one option for, for us to make disciples, not only a, that making disciples is a call to be, because we have to be role models, making disciples is also a multiplication process. Making disciples is a multiplication process in the fact that when we do develop people, taking them under our wings and influence them within the relationship that we develop with them intentionally, they learn to do the exact same thing. Paul was uh, writing his uh, letter to second le letter to Timothy, and in chapter two, verse two, he says, "The things you have heard from me, entrust them to reliable people, who will in turn teach others. The things you have heard from me, entrust them to reliable people, who will in turn teach them to others." The idea in the passage is that there is a chain reaction. I influence somebody when he gets to a place where he has uh, grown enough to influence somebody else, he does, and that somebody else will influ influence somebody else, and it just goes and goes and goes. It's a multiplication process in the fact that this morning I asked Pastor Ross how many people uh, he has here in this church, he said it's about 150 to 200 adults. Not even counting the kids who can be disciple makers as well. They can start early if you encourage them. If you disciple them at home, as they grow, they will pick people to disciple. Let's say that not all the 200 people here would, would listen to Jesus, although he's got exousia. They would take their time before they respond to make disciples, but one among the 200 adults would decide to do it, not even counting the kids. And you would intentionally pick someone, whether it's in your neighborhood, just a neighbor, or somebody in the neighborhood, or somebody at the grocery store you go every now and then, somebody at work, or anywhere, you can pick someone and you're working with intentionally. It starts with proclaiming the gospel because you have to tell people about Jesus. This is where it starts. But the person you are discipling, you're working with may not be a believer, may not make a decision. But if you say, okay, this is the person that I am going to commit myself to pray for regularly, that I will take all the sees all the opportunities that I can have, I can get to invite the person to read the Bible, to eat a meal together with, to invite to go to the lake with, so we can just spend time together and try to build a bridge so that the gospel can be shared, or just to be able to invite that person to church so somebody else who can share the gospel better can do it in that setting. So you just do that. And you say, okay, I'm going to pick this person in particular, and I'm going to do just that with the person just faithfully. By six months, one year, 
you may be able to bring that person here. You may be able to, to, to probably bring that person to Jesus Christ and start building on that foundation in their person. There is this possibility. And let's say that 100 is doing that. That's 100 people who are not part of this church that are uh, being influenced intentionally by those 100 going after them. And let's say that 50 don't respond. And you just going and going, 50 don't respond. There is a good chance that another 50 would actually come here to attend uh, services because you become a friend. You are somebody who is interested in the life of that person. You are sacrificing for him or her. And before you know it, by six months a year, it's going to be 250 here. And then those people, as they grow, they go after their own disciples. And then you go after other ones that you are identifying. You see the multiplication process? If I spend six months a year working with somebody, trying to influence his life, and then that person grows to the point where he's choosing his own disciple, and I move to another one, before you know it, I was the only one going after him. Now it's him and I going after two others. We are four working together. And then it goes to, to the place where the four are going after others. When you have four going after people, it's going to be eight in the relationship. You see what it, what it, what it is? And it, that's the multiplication process, and this is just numbers. So the church can develop in number. But there is a second idea also of multiplication in discipleship. Because if you are intentional about discipling people, just as Jesus said, you will feel compelled to put the word of God into practice because you are not just sharing, you are not just transferring knowledge, as we said before, you are offering yourself as a role model. And in the process, what Paul says in Romans 12 too, about the renewing of the mind, the learning to see life differently, the disposition to obey God, the disposition to love people just as the Lord loves us, that is going to become a reality in our lives. And as we do, we will influence our disciples to do the same thing. And that will develop quality in the church. Some people are in churches and they brag about the amount of time they have had going to church. Some people say 10 years already. Some people say 15 years. Others say even more. But when you look, you don't see much when it comes to growth. But if you are a disciple maker, you will definitely be in a position where you have to grow because you cannot be offering anything to your disciple. You will be watching yourself. You will be putting into practice God's word, and it will become a habit. And that person would learn to do the same thing, and it will become a habit for him or her as well. And then this is what definitely you are going to have. At Step Seminary, I said that we were mistaken for a long time. And when we looked at the impact that Step Seminary was having on the society, we figured that it was too small or it was absent in many, absent in many places. We thought, well, something has to change. And we decided to become intentional 
about making disciples. We decided to become intentional about going into the community around us to identify people to work with, identify families to influence. And this is how we have developed a new culture at STEP Seminary right now. Professors at STEP Seminary don't just teach in cl classrooms anymore. It is required and they are also willing to do it because of the new idea that we're reading in Matthew 28. As, as theological teachers, uh, Bible teachers, we know Matthew 28, but we have to go back to it to read it again to see that Jesus did not mean to just proclaim. Jesus did not mean to just share the word and have, have people understand and be able to say it also, but it was living out his own approach to take people under our wings and influence them everywhere we go. So professors at Step Seminary are receiving students in their homes on weekends right now. So that the, t the students can see the professors outside of classrooms to see how they live life in reality with their spouses, with their kids, in their neighborhoods, they are right there to watch and learn. And even, even right there on campus, we're building uh, uh, the new academic building with spaces that are inviting that in such a way that there are areas set for people to just come and sit down and have conversations. Because we have to favor life on life influence one by one. It's required also for professors at Step Seminary to be able to tell us at any moment who is their Peter, James, and John. They have to have three at least. We know that Jesus had 12 disciples, but he's Jesus. He can handle 12. But we ask the professors to try to handle three. If they have three people with them, three students that they have identified, and for a whole semester at least, they, they can tell us it's, it's so and so, so and so, and so and so that I'm working with. And they are influencing. Not, not only do they go to the professors' houses and spend weekends with them in whatever the professors are doing, they travel also with the professors to the field, to churches, so that they can learn from them. It's required. And we're doing it now, and we see a different results happening. We see students already um, experiencing that at Step Seminary, picking people in their churches or in their neighborhoods uh, uh, intentionally. They know also who they are working with right now. And it's becoming a chain. It's multiplying, and when, you, when you're doing it, you have that, you feel that call, not only to be, to develop in your relationship with God so that you can be a good role model for them, but also to enjoy this new reality, the friendship, and the fact that they are getting it and they are moving forward with it by picking up more. Let's say that this church does it. And with this multiplication process, in just a few years, the whole Frisco would be discipled. That would be just a, a, a whole network developed here in the whole Frisco. And this, th these walls would have to be uh, uh, put down and, and move uh, back so that you can make, make space for others to come in. Or maybe other satellite churches of Centennial would, would be all over the place in the whole Frisco. 
and then that would go to the whole Dallas, uh, the whole Metroplex, and then the whole United States, and if Jesus uh, doesn't come back too soon, we would get to all the world, actually. So this is what the idea is. There is this intentional approach that has to be there, beginning with the fact that it's Jesus who says that we need to make disciples. It's not Wawa. It's not Pastor Ross. It's not just somebody out there. But it's Jesus, the person to whom all authority in heaven and on earth had been given, or has been given still. He's got that authority to tell us what to do. And when he says it, we have no option. We have to make disciples. And what does it mean? It means that we need to play the role of a teacher, but not just a teacher like the others, but a teacher who not only knows what he's doing or what she's doing, but who is the kind of person who can be a good role model for others. But doing it in such a way that it's, it becomes a chain of reaction, multiplication process, so that the whole network can be built. If you look at your life and you see that sometimes you make your own decision, even if you read in the word something that God is communicating, but you feel, well, I don't feel good about it. I'm not going to do it. Something has to change. You have to make a decision right now to become more obedient to Jesus Christ when he speaks to you through his word. That's the first thing. And the second thing, when you look at your life, if you see areas that you can't be proud of, and if people knew about them, it would be shameful to you. You can't be the, 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 the best role model you, you should be as a disciple maker. So there is something to work at. And the, the next thing, if you look in your circle, you don't see anybody. Sometimes, occasionally, you talk about Jesus with people, or you just go to a prayer meeting, or uh, whatever, if it's called the discipleship class like that, you, you go to them. But th this is, it's not something you do intentionally. You cannot name somebody. I think it's time for you to make the decision to, to even today, to start praying about it, to say, God, who is it you want me to start working with right now? Challenge yourself with that uh, to pick one. Sometimes it may be in your own house, especially for the husbands. The husbands, the first disciple they should have is the wife. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, this is the job you get. God says that you need to grow that person. You need to develop that person to look like Christ by showing yourself as looking like Christ in your own development. It may be outside of the home. It may be a, a, a neighbor. It may be a co-worker or somebody that the Lord would point you to. But you need to finally have one person at least that you are influencing intentionally and spending time with, time with so that you can learn the word of God together and develop the habit of, of putting it into practice. That network will not happen just like that. It will happen if we take responsibility and we do the right thing. I'm going to ask Luke uh, to come and pray for us right now so that we can end this. Let's pray together. Our Father, this isn't something new. This is something you're deeply committed to. It's Jesus who was himself God, emptied himself, took the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of men. He came 
to be with us. Thank you for the privilege I have to see as you've given this vision to Wawa, and I'm seeing it begin to change Haiti. Give us, Father, a vision here in Frisco. Help us to have eyes to see those you would have us to, to go to, to take under our wings, and give us courage to follow you as we engage in this disciple-making process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.